Hey guys, what's up and welcome back to the Motivated Lawn Care Show. I'm your host, Caleb Nguyen, and today, sitting across from me in my living room, we have my official tax guy, Bobby Antonacci Jr. Is that how you pronounce it? The third. The yeah. third. Yeah, yes. There's three of us. Okay. I believe. I gotta say, I think I've said your name on one other podcast when I was talking about talk about like taxes and stuff. Mm-hmm. The last name, I like it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, appreciate that. I uh I guess that's good. Then people will, will hopefully remember us. <laughs> you know, being, I have no idea how to spell it, but you know, I don't either. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> but right. no, man, I'm I'm uh, happy to be here today, uh, sitting in your your living room, and uh, you know, ready to get into whatever you got for me. All right, all right. So first, because we always like to start out with a little bit of story time. How did you How did you get into taxes specifically? I know that you're. Your dad, I want to say, was kind of in the business. Yeah. So that was kind of your foray. Do you have like a story behind that? How'd you, how'd you get into Yeah. That? So I woke up one day and really just fell in love with taxes. And uh, obviously, I'm kidding. Nobody does that. But it, it's definitely a good business to, to get into. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, Ben Franklin said there's only two certainties in life, death and taxes. Yeah. So the business isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. And what happened was my father, like you just said, was in the business for, call it 20 years or so. I think he he got into private practice in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. So he had it. He also had some political ambitions. So he was getting elected to various offices. And during those pro- that process, he ended up running for a position that you couldn't have outside income in. Okay, so his only income and only job was going to have to be this uh, elected position. At the time, I was 20 years old. I was in college, didn't really have a clue what what I was doing or what I was going to do. So he he talked to me one day and said, "Hey, look, you know, I gotta give up this business. Um, I know you're you're starting accounting," and I'm like, "Yeah, Dad, let's let's see if this can work." Mm -hmm. So in the beginning. I had no clue what I was doing. I, I got in there and it was the middle of February or so when, oh, I, when I first so started. So, you know, the season, tax season's basically January to April 15th. Yeah. So we're, we're right in the middle of it and, and we got to learn on the fly. I got to figure out what's going on. The clients are texting me while I'm at college, yeah. um, emailing me, calling me, <laughs> and I, I'm just, I'm very confused at this point. Certainly... We, we had a much smaller client base than, we, than I do now. Okay. But at the time, just getting started, as, as with anything, it was just, it, it was a challenge. Yeah. You know, because I had to learn a lot of the, the mechanics of how the program works, the tax law, certainly learn the people. Yeah. You know, again, a lot of them were, were close friends and family and, and good clients, so it yeah. helped. Yeah. Um, but it still was, it was a grind and it was brutal. And, and I was playing. With college too. Yeah, with college, yeah. I was playing baseball at the time, too. Oh, man. So we had college baseball season. Uh, you had tax season. You had the second semester of my junior year. Yeah. It, it, was, it was definitely uh, difficult. But then after that, you know, you start to, to retain some things. Certainly, we, we put a lot of people on extension, so we, we were able to do taxes after the season. Okay. As long as you file this extension. And in the so it was summer, like all you did while you were in college was just like filing extensions the whole ju- time. Well, we, we definitely we did a lot of extensions, but we, we got some done. There, okay. there, there was no doubt we, we got some done, um, but a lot of people did go on extension that year specifically, um, and even the next year. But once we got past the deadline through school and whatnot, that summer, 
dad and I were able to sit down and really get into uh, how these things worked and, and get into the files much more in depth to teach me. Yeah. So I went through that whole process in college. Uh, and then finally, he you know, was able to, to relinquish control of the business to me almost entirely, mm-hmm. and um, I went from, from there. Okay, so how many years has it been? This will be year six. Wow. Yeah, hard to believe. So I started in the spring of 18. That, I was yeah, 20 years old, junior in college, and, and here we are. I'll be 26 next year. So That's crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been an interesting journey to get here. And since then, I mean, we've, we've grown the business uh, with my new, my new place out in Liverpool that, that you've been to, Syracuse Wealth Management. Yeah. And uh, it's just been, it's been a straight uphill for the most part uh, after that. Yeah. So, been good. Yeah. So how many people do you have like me? Because so I got your in contact information mm-hmm. from Danny Bova, which if you yeah. guys have not listened to his interview, I interviewed him on the podcast. Oh, okay. Yep. It was like my second one. And we just came and we just like, we just talked for like an hour and a half and it's like super long, but it was really mm-hmm. good. And when I was first starting like this year, because mm-hmm. I'd never done anything very official before. And I was like, I had no clue what I was doing. I was like, Danny, who's your guy? So I just <laughs> called you and you're like super chill. I was like, yeah, come on out to my house. I was like, all yeah. right, you know what? So we went to the, the the office at your house, which this was bef- was that before you had moved to Syracuse Wealth Management, or did you were you already there? Yeah, I, w- I was already there. I figured since you were on this side of town, it'd probably be easier just to you know get to know you yeah. because I didn't want you to come out to the office, drive all that way, and yeah. and then you know you'd be like somebody I didn't want to work with. Yeah. <laughs> at least if we were close, so it would make sense if it just you know didn't work out. It'd be an easy yeah. trip. Um, obviously it did, but yeah, so I, I had already been at Syracuse Wealth Management, but I still had the office at the house. Okay. Uh, it makes life a lot easier on like the weekends. Yeah. Bring stuff home, can, can roll out of bed in the morning and, and get stuff done and, and work yeah. throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, I actually, when I'm, when I work at home, my favorite time to work is like 7 PM to about 10. Okay. Cause there's no interruptions. There's mm-hmm. nothing going on and it's really easy to dig into stuff when I'm at the house. Yeah. So. I do like first thing in the morning. Like wake up like the earliest, even yeah. like before you go work out, just like like an hour. Just whenever people are not calling you is when you can actually get stuff done. Yeah, that was something Dad taught me early on too. He said during the day you get all like the busy work done and stuff that if you get interrupted or a phone call or something happens, you don't have to re put yourself into some you know state of mind. Mm-hmm. So get all that done during the day, and then at night is when you do your your work that you need to really think and concentrate on because people aren't going to just be interrupting you. Yeah. So. so how many people like me and Danny do you have are like in your client base, like lawn, landscape guys? So I have, I have three. Okay. Yeah, you two, and then another. Okay. Um, that that are in the lawn landscaping field. Okay. Okay. Um. Whether it's lawn landscaping or another type of business, yeah, it service base is pretty similar. Yeah, you guys all operate a similar way. Um, like for example, I have a plumber that I also work with. Yeah, you're all, in my mind at least, yeah. operating the same way. So as you see various businesses come in, you start to see patterns, and it starts to get a lot easier to to advise those people because you've seen things before, yeah. and uh, it just makes bringing new people on much smoother. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So what are what are some like bigger write offs? Because like almost everyone asks, like, oh, what are the big write offs? I'm like, yeah. I personally don't really know. Like, what are some stuff that a lot of like maybe a lot of us are probably missing out on, like the lawn mm-hmm. landscape or even service based plumbing that yeah. kind of stuff's all pretty similar. What are some like bigger write offs that we're missing out on that we like don't realize? Well, I'd say the 
let, let's start with what you can't deduct. Okay. Okay. Right. That, that, like I said, I, I, I try to keep people sim- that are similar operating a similar way on the tax side. Mm-hmm. So when, when somebody like you comes in, I know what we're probably going to be able to deduct right away. But also, it's my job to make sure you we don't get too aggressive, and then you start getting letters from the IRS and New York State. So my, my job is to keep people protected from themselves, from the government, whoever, mm-hmm. uh, just because I, I know how the tax code would work, what are red flags that might get you audited or get a letter sent to you. Mm-hmm. So some things that you can't necessarily take when you're first starting out, uh, certainly actual expenses for a car. That's, yeah. a, that's a big one that people get confused on. You just got to take mileage. You're going to take mileage. So if you're spending money on gas or repairs, tires, stuff like that, that stuff's probably not going to be able to be deducted starting out. Down the line, you can take those as you grow and and, uh, develop and maybe form an entity or add more cars and trucks to your fleet type of deal. Yeah. But in the beginning, people get very confused with that. They can't take uh, the actual expenses that they spend on cars and trucks. Certainly gas and repairs for your equipment. Right. You know, leaf blower or weed whacker, stuff like that. That can be included in there. Yeah. But for the vehicle, that, that trips people up. Uh, another one is meals and entertainment. Okay. So if you're if you're out with the crew, you can deduct half of the meals. Mm. So it's not a full deduction. Yeah. There is no entertainment anymore. There used to be an entertainment. When I first started, you could deduct like an entertainment expense. You're out, you're you know at a bar or wherever. You can you can have entertainment for the business. That has since disappeared. Um, so th- those are the big ones that I find that people you know say, "Why well, I, I can't deduct that?" And it's like, yeah, unfortunately, the way the way you're set up, it's just it's not going to happen. So does it does it change when you have like an LLC or like an S corp or C corp? Does it change with that? Uh some somewhat. You'll you'll be able to again get the the actual expenses for cars and trucks as you grow. Right. You can also deduct the car fully. Okay. So if you, if, yeah, you can depreciate the car fully. If you get a fifty thousand dollar vehicle, you can write that off uh, in that first year. Okay. The catch is if you sell it, then you're paying tax on whatever you sell it for. Not right. necessarily if there's a gain. Yeah. Uh, so if you buy the car again for fifty thousand, you sell it for forty a few years later. That forty is all subject to tax. Ooh, okay. okay right. So it's 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 a trade off. But again, if you're if you're making a ton of money and you purchase a vehicle, you're going to want to deduct that in the first year potentially, and yeah. you can save yourself some money then, and right. just defer the tax. Maybe the car's worth less then, so the the tax burden isn't as high. Okay. All right. So th- those are some pitfalls I see people fall yeah, into yeah. saying, "Why can't I deduct this?" Um, certainly, like you just said, the biggest one is mileage. You guys are driving everywhere right. in the in the lawn landscaping business, so having mileage is is gonna be something that you're gonna you're gonna want to keep track of. Okay, I think I've spoken to you about it. Yeah, keeping some type of log is important. Yeah, because that is the easiest category for New York State, the IRS, whoever, to just send you a letter saying, "Hey, we we want to look at your mileage log." Yeah, and if you can't prove anything. Then they're just going to disallow the deduction, yeah. and they're just going to say this is what we think it could be, or nothing, and yeah. then you owe whatever tax and penalty and interest associated with that uh, the loss of the deduction. Yeah. Okay. So my, mileage is a big one. Uh, any office expense you may incur, you know, you can get creative. Obviously, internet, phone, um, utilities is one that you can have for for the business. Um, supplies is a big one too. If you're purchasing supplies and equipment, you're going to want to get those on there. Uh, really, anything that you're 
purchasing to operate, yeah. you're going to want to have on your your tax return in some capacity. Right. Okay. And obviously, when when you sit down with your tax professional, they're going to sift through the data and again say, all right, we're going to be able to take this, or you're probably not going to be able to take that. Okay. So what are people talking about? Because people talk about this all the time, and I just never, I, I can't wrap my head around it. So when people, I hear them talking about like, they're like, yeah, I get um, end of year tax write off, blah blah blah, and they buy a car, you know, like they're, oh yeah, my accountant called me, and I, mm-hmm. you know, and I bought this car because you know whatever. Yeah. And, and they keep saying that. And then some people say like bonus depreciation. I don't mm-hmm. know. So what are they talking about when they talk about end of year or bonus depreciation? What are they talking about? Yeah. So so you're, you're probably thinking of somebody like Grant Cardone. He made a video a while back. He's like, oh, yeah, we, we had a, a great year this year. And he went out and bought a jet. Yeah. And for, for somebody like that who's flying all over the place, it makes sense. But at the same time, you're correct in saying, hey, an accountant may call you up and say, look, you're, if you are going to have a great year, Start spending some money because yeah. you don't want to pay tax. Yeah. So how does that even work? Is it like buy stuff for your business, or is it just like buy stuff in general? Like what? buy stuff for the business okay. always. Yeah, you're you're only gonna be able to write off what you use for the business uh, and business purposes. Yeah, because it's confusing. Because they're like, oh yeah, they're like, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, go buy something, and, and I'm like, uh, yeah. But like, you're buying like this Lamborghini SUV, like for personal use. Like, I, I don't understand. Yeah, so, I have a client who does stuff like that too. He, he, he's got cars and, and they're, they're, let's just say, I don't know if the average person would be driving them. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, that, that does happen. But the, all, the other thing you got to think of is don't let the tax tail waggle the dog. That's yeah. kind of a little saying that we have. If, if you're going to spend a dollar just to save 30 cents, yeah. it might not make sense. Yeah, right? that's pay, what, that's, pay the 30 that's cents, it, yeah. you keep 70 and that, that's basically how taxes work. They're just yeah. going to take, you know, 30% using a um, round percentage. They're just going to take a percentage of your income and, and you keep the rest. So unless you're spending on something that's useful, mm-hmm. just hang on to the money. Yeah. You know, because again, the, the, the tax is always lower than whatever you've, you've made. Yeah. So that, that part of the business, you just got to be careful in spending frivolously. Yeah. Okay. You want to... May spend money on stuff that's going to actually progress the business. Yeah. Now, like I said, somebody like Grant, to be able to, to buy a jet or somebody that, that again, has a phenomenal year and mm-hmm. wants to purchase a car for the business, it absolutely makes sense. Because like I said, you can write the car or the whatever asset it is off in against, that first year. Against your income in, you made that year. In that year. Yeah. So you, you can take the Section 179, which is the accelerated depreciation, okay. which is how you get it in the first year. Yeah. And now you've depreciated the asset. You've essentially written off again. We'll use fifty thousand. That goes against whatever income you have. Right. So that can be very helpful sure. in that year. But like I said a few minutes ago, if you go and sell this asset, yeah. whatever you sell for, it's going to be subject to, to tax. Um, whatever. Whatever. Is it, is it is. not already? So if you don't, if you don't write it off for depreciation, mm-hmm. it's not subject to, to like, I don't know, tax when you sell it. So if you How does just, that work? if you put it on your books. All right, well, again, we'll use a $50,000 vehicle. You put the vehicle on the books. You're, you're writing off the car. Yeah. Every year, you're going to deduct a certain percentage of the useful life, useful okay. value right. over the useful life. So let's just, again, use round numbers. Let's say it's $2,000 a year yeah. on that $50,000. Okay, so year one, you're going to write off $2,000 of the $50,000 vehicle. So in the eyes of the tax man, the vehicle is only worth Forty-eight thousand dollars, right? Fifty minus the two. Mm-hmm. If you go and sell it, 
that year, okay, you're going to have to recapture that $2,000 of depreciation, okay? And, and in this example, it's only $2,000. In real life, it's normally more because people hang on to assets for a little bit longer. So you recapture whatever your depreciation is. That amount gets taxed at ordinary income. So just like you were getting paid a wage, okay? Everything above your original cost basis, which is that 50000 is yeah. then a capital gain of some kind. Okay. Whether it be short-term if you sell it under a year or long-term if you have held on to it for more than a year. Okay. Okay. So personal question. Go ahead. So this, this spring, so the truck that I have out mm -hmm. here um, is for sale. And so I'm looking to sell that, use the money, make a down payment on a newer truck th mm -hmm. uh, in the spring. But I was doing research and like I don't really have like business credit, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So how does it work if I personally finance it and then get like the insurance and all that stuff for the business to use it and that kind of stuff? How does that work? I'm assuming that you can't do that depreciation stuff then. You just have to take mileage. Yeah. So so in your in your situation, I don't think we, you would ever want to write off the, the car fully. Because no. like I said, you go and sell this thing right now and it's fully depreciated. Yeah. You're going to have to pay tax on the on whatever you sell it for. And if it's yeah. a newer vehicle, then you're going to probably get close to what you paid for it. Yeah. So somebody like that, it just it, it doesn't make sense when you first start out. Take the mileage because once you sell the vehicle, then you, you just pay whatever you've profited on it. Okay. So your cost basis is X. If you sell it for more than that, then you, you pay the gain. But just, not, then, no. then it doesn't matter. Okay. Exactly. So for you, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense to, to do something like that. Now down the line, if you have a handful of trucks yeah. and you really start making a ton of money, then that's a, a conversation for them. Okay. But being a sole proprietor, you fill out what's called a Schedule C on your tax return. Yeah. And... That's where you go to start out. You can you can do these on the Schedule C. I just don't think we we would in the be in the, to start out in the beginning. Right. Okay. Yeah. So how's it going to work? So this this spring as well, um, I'm dissolving the current entity so that I can go do an LLC and all that the fancy stuff because mm -hmm. I couldn't at the time because you were I, under eighteen. Because was under eighteen. Yeah, he's a little baby. Yeah. So now <laughs> now uh, I can do it official and like get the LLC and everything set mm -hmm. up. Um, so how does that like does that change things tax wise like and and what does that change so you in in this past year you've had what just a dba operating yeah, a DBA, or something yeah so you're you're still operating as a sole proprietor yeah it's just you you and the business are kind of the same yeah so no it doesn't matter for this year when you set up the llc you do have the option to be taxed as a corporation mm -hmm. if you wanted to like s or c right uh, yep, yep. You you would probably want to do S yeah. since you're again a, a, a solo member. The C corp has double taxation. Yeah. The C corp is essentially another entity, mm -hmm. and that pays tax itself. Yeah. And then anything you take out is either you a dividend tax. or a or salary. Right. So there's double taxation there. So most people have S corps. C corps are kind of a, a dinosaur. Uh, I actually only have one client that's a C corp. Yeah. So that from that standpoint, if you go and create this LLC. And you don't do that. You don't have it taxed as a an entity. You can essentially just have this shell that you're operating out of as a sole proprietor. Right. And the reason most people do that is, God forbid, you get sued. Yeah. At least the the entity and everything involved with the business is is under the LLC. Okay. Right. So they can't so, take your personal stuff. Well, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't confirm that. Sure. 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 But that's the idea behind doing it. Certainly, if, if you're in real estate, for example, a lot of these real estate people have LLCs for each property. Yeah. So they have House 1 LLC, House 2 LLC, 
again, shielding themselves, yeah. God forbid anything happened in one of these properties, and shielding the other properties too. Yeah, so they can't take them off. Exactly. So you creating an LLC is not going to change anything to start mm -hmm. probably. Uh, if you wanted to create or build this business up and, and move it to an S-Corp, you could just do that and start a new one or transfer this current name into an S-Corp and just get a new EIN number for the government to identify you as. Okay. So from me, from sole proprietorship to LLC, nothing has to happen for that? Nope. Okay. Nope. You'll just need to, to get an EIN number so you can uh, get the tax form set up correctly for myself because we'll be that's how they'll be tracking you through this LLC EIN. Uh, and when you do jobs, let's say you do a, a commercial job, if you make over $600, the company you're doing the job for, they should send you a form 1099. 1099 yeah. Okay, because that, that's how the government's able to track payments over the $600. Right. Okay, so that would then be sent to your LLC. Right. Not you personally, because the way your Schedule C is going to be set up is going to be under the LLC. Okay. Okay, so you should be fine. Just make sure you do those little little wrinkles. Okay, gotcha. And how about, uh, again, I, this sounds terrible because I just hear this stuff. Like on podcasts, people talk about it. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, this code, whatever. They, they keep talking about this code. It keeps coming up where you can write off anything that is like deemed as like reasonable, whatever, for your business. For example, let's say like a YouTuber or some like a social media, whatever person, mm -hmm. they can write off almost everything because it's all included in their business, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like how, how does that work? Is that like legit? Like, like what's going on? What's going on? Yeah. That? I mean, cer certainly I, like I've been talking about the past few minutes, anything that's associated with your business and operating the business should be considered. Right. Now, w if you walked into my office with all your receipts, with all, everything you've done, would I like, would I let you take all of them? Maybe not. Again, it, it's, I try to be conservative when it comes to things like mileage, certainly things like a YouTube subscription in yeah. there, you know, th things like that you have to be careful of. But at the same time, if they're legitimate expenses, they're legitimate expenses. If you can, if you can sit in front of an auditor and say, yes, this $500 was used to, to purchase a weed whacker, this $500 went to setting up a website, if you have a story yeah. behind why you spent the money on the business, then you're fine. Yeah. You know, but again, don't go out and spend money just to spend money to not pay tax. You you'd rather have more cash and, and owe the tax than than anything. Because that means you're making money. If you're paying taxes, you're making money, right? Yeah. So So what does it look like for people who are like cause cause how I think about everything is every time I go to like the, the grocery store, mm -hmm. I'm like, because um, like it's like a thirty percent discount almost. Almost because I will have to pay taxes it's just from the business expense, whatever. But it's only fifty percent. So let's say if I'm buying food or whatever mm -hmm. it is, so 15% discount. But you know, you know, we're gonna talk about business stuff, having a business meeting, that kind of stuff. So like, I pull out the business card and like I use it and I spend it, and it's for a business thing. But what if it's like not like because I see a lot of people who they're like, yeah, well, it's not my business, but it's a tiny little expense, and I won't have to pay tax on it. Like, is there any is there any way that you can do that? Because I just see like self-employed people like, oh, well, you can write things off because you're self-employed. Yeah. And they like buy an iPad and they're like, yeah, it's. For work, but it's not really for work. Like, well, again, it's it's subjective to what the person's doing. If you're if you're a landscaper and you've got fifty thousand in revenue and fifteen twenty thousand dollars in meals, <laughs> that's where somebody like me is going to say, all right, well, what's going on here? Yeah. Like, clearly, you're just putting your grocery bill or something. Something's not right. Yeah. 
So people that have done this long enough, they're going to, again, we see consistency. We see patterns in, in businesses that we work with. So something like that would just be like, yeah, this is a red flag. I don't know if we want to do this. So I would make a note and talk to the client about stuff like that. Yeah. But again, you're, you're correct. If you're self-employed and you can justify purchasing that iPad. Well, what if you're already going to buy it yourself, but then you're like, well, I could just use the business money because it's just me in this business and I could write it off. Like Exactly. Again, it's, it's if you're going to be able to justify purchasing that item and using it for whatever your, your business is, then it's a legitimate deduction in my opinion. Okay. You know, if, again, if you're the, the sole owner, you buy it for the business and you happen to use it for something else, well, what are you going to do? It's still being used for your business and, and progressing what you're doing. So it's not like crazy stuff where, because I was reading this like tax book thing when I first mm-hmm. got started before I even hired you. I was like, I don't know what to do. Do I do it myself? What happens here? And that eventually I was just like, there's no way I'm going to be able to figure all this, everything out at the same time. <laughs> so um, they're saying they're like, yeah, you can like, if you use your phone half for personal and half for business technically you're supposed to only write off half of it because you yeah. did half for business but can you write off the whole thing like no that that would be correct in that scenario so okay. like your, your phone bill yeah if you have family members on there the other family yeah. members would probably not be included in that but i'm saying like if i have like one like let's say this cell phone here is like for work yeah but i use it for personal stuff too so do i that it's, it's just a write-off. It, yep, it's just again, if you you purchase the phone, whatever comes through there, it's it's a business. You know, you're using it for the business. Yeah. Okay. All right, and that that's the primary goal for purchasing this. And if you have again, you happen to use it for your personal, like, look at the car. You probably drive other places other than to job sites in the in the truck. Yeah. Most people do. So those miles get excluded. Yeah. Because again, that that's a certain deduction for the truck, and and that's the same thing that would be with the phone. Right. If you had a family plan. You probably would have to reduce that, or I would at least advise somebody to say, "Hey, you know, this is probably not um, something you should include on there because it's not part of what you're doing." Yeah. Clearly, I mean, if the family members are just not involved, if they are, then that's a different story. Right, right. But most of the time, like your your mother isn't involved with the you know the business. Yeah. So yeah. that that's again conversations that would be had with your your tax professional as you were to get these deductions and uh, you know consider putting them on your tax return. Gotcha. And what about audits? Because like whenever I think of audits and the, the eighty seven thousand new IRS agents, yeah. and that, that kind of scares me a little bit. Should I be scared? Is it like glad you asked? Okay. So number one, the eighty seven thousand new agents is not going to be all for auditing. Okay. I'm actually happy about this. Okay. The IRS is brutal to deal with. Right. They are so slow at turning things around. It, it's a nightmare. And again, it's a go- it's a government bureaucracy. So to be expected. But the 87,000 people, most of them are going to be service employees. You have to, there's certain qualifications you have to fit. There's certain tasks and experience you have to have to actually become a field auditor. Which is the use brutal force to take people's money thing. See, I'll, <laughs> let, me, let me finish my thought and I'll All get right. to that in a second. But essentially a lot of these people are going to hopefully be helping the IRS to service tax returns, tax preparers, and the taxpayers. Okay. Get things through, process things more quickly, get things turned around, because that that's what we need at the IRS. Now, to your point... With the scary guys. The, the, the scary people... I, I've talked to auditors before. Yeah. They're just normal people. They, they just got a job to do. They're not out to get you. Uh, their job is to understand the tax code, 
look through a business and make sure the business is following the tax code accordingly. Right. Certainly, like I, I've been I've been saying, if you can explain things, then you shouldn't have a problem because how how they conduct an audit, they'll come in and they'll say, all right, Caleb, I want to look at your your balance sheet, your profit and loss, yeah. and then they're going to pick out various line items and say, okay, what went into office expense, and then you show them all your office expenses, and they'll say, okay, what is uh, this receipt from Staples for twenty dollars, for example, mm-hmm. and the office say, okay, this is this mouse and microphone. And then, okay, they, they'll see it. Okay, good. And then they'll go on to other line items. Mm-hmm. So, they, and, and this is all sent to you ahead of time too. Right. It's not a surprise. So you can prepare and add all the time. Exactly. You're going to be able to prepare, get your documents together, and hopefully as you're conducting business, you're, you're keeping good books and records right. because if something like this were to happen, uh, you'd be able to defend yourself. So they're not bad people. They just have a job to do. And even if you get into an audit and it's unfavorable to you, you have the ability to appeal. It's not the end all be all. You can appeal, you can go to tax court, you can continue to fight stuff like this. Certainly it gets much more expensive as you as you go and, and continue to, to fight, but you have the ability to, to still plead your case in front of um, the tax court. So when that, that's, that's the audit part. When it comes to dealing with New York State, that that's an entirely different animal. Those people, th- those people are actually brutal to deal with. The New York New York State is horrible, or any of the the state um, taxing authorities that you may end up the dealing sales with. Sales tax, whatever. Sales tax is is definitely one that I, I advise people. If you're in this business, make sure your sales tax is up to up to snuff. Yeah. Because you do not want to mess with those people. Because essentially, it's stealing. Right. Yeah, it's not your money. You collected money on top it's, of your normal. It's money. not yours. It's not your money. Um, so, dealing with sales tax, you you want to make sure when you start up, that's something that you get taken care of. And okay. and for guys like you, almost every service you perform is going to be subject to tax. Yeah. If you start getting into capital improvements where you're significantly um, improving the worth of the property, then you then that's to... a different story. Okay. But to start out again, trimming bushes, mowing lawns. That's a taxable event. The other thing that you got to consider when you first get started, if you're under $500,000 in income, the chance of you getting audited is like getting struck by lightning. So it's really, really not very often that people who are like lower bracket people will get audited. Exactly. And if, especially if you're a W-2 employee, there, there's almost no chance because all your income is reported. Right. Now, as a Schedule C, which is what you and I are, Yeah. The, the chance is a little bit higher because okay. that's just the taxpayer putting what they've received and what they're deducting. There's really nothing that the government gets other than maybe a 1099 to, to reconcile any of these numbers. Okay, yep. So Schedule C people have a little bit higher of a, a chance of being audited. But again, if you're under 500000 it's still a risk-reward for the government. Right. If they're going to come in and audit Spend myself. Spend all this money coming after you. And yeah. Stuff. You know, little Bobby Antonacci and his tax practice, they're not going to get much. Yeah. Whereas if they go and audit somebody that's making, you know, five to $10 million, yeah. you're, you're going to probably get more if you find something as an auditor or right. as the IRS. Right. So those people definitely have a little bit more of a bullseye on their back. Uh, and again, it's that's why it's important to build up these good habits and keep good books and records, deduct things that you're able to deduct. So as you grow your business, you don't have bad habits and you're not throwing things in there that you shouldn't be uh, and then you get pinched. Right, right. So it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And for like a business like mine, it's like almost no chance that I'm going to 
get audited. Not saying I'm going to do something stupid, but like yeah. if I keep things like not unreasonable, I'm not writing off like the whole house and like right. and all this other crazy stuff. Like, yeah, and, and again, you, you're, I guess the public's view of an audit is a little bit different than mine. You're thinking of somebody, an agent, walking into your place of business, sitting there and going over all your books and records. That's what you're thinking is an audit. Or but, just anyone just being like, give me more money. That's, yeah, that's but, but th- those letters that get sent to you, technically those are audited reports. I mean, they've audited your return. Yeah. So they've looked at your stuff, they've deemed there's a discrepancy, and they send you a letter saying, this is the change. Technically, those are audits, but most of those are for interests that's just overdue on unpaid balance, or a line item just got screwed up that was reported by, again, a 1099 or a third party. Yeah. And, and those aren't a big deal. Those are, those are just desk audits. Uh, the ones, again, that, where they change things or they disallow deductions or income or something like that, uh, those are ones that I, that I pay attention to a little bit more. But, again, if you get a letter from the government, normally it's just for, for something like interest or, or penalties that you got to pay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, the last thing I think is, so do you take people who are, like, out of state? Because I get people who are like, oh, who's your tax guy? I'm like, dude, you're in Georgia. You yeah. Know? So you would take someone who's, who's out of state. You probably couldn't do sales tax stuff because – Maybe you don't know it is. My well. my biggest client lives in Florida, actually. Okay. Or he did. He he's since sold his businesses, but he was down in Florida. I have clients in Idaho. I got clients in Colorado, Texas. Uh, somebody just moved to Oregon, <laughs> I think. So I I got people all over the country. Okay. So that is not a problem. Certainly, there's different laws and nuances um, with the various states. Sales tax being one of them. Right. Um. That that actually differs county by county. Yeah. So all the counties in America have probably have different sales tax. Yeah. But again, if, if somebody's got a, a service or uh, somebody helping them with their books, uh, that that can be taken care of easily. I would prefer to stay on the tax side and yeah. the planning side. Yeah. Because bookkeeping and and sales tax and all the various little things about running a business is just something that I'm not going to have the capacity to deal with. Yeah, I have contacts that do like personal CFO type work. Right, I would send that work there, and the tax return I'd be able to do. And certainly, out of state tax returns are are no problem. Okay, the only thing that differs again, um, and we'll use Florida for example. It doesn't matter. There's no tax in Florida anyways. <laughs> so who cares? Um, some people do like to see their professionals face to face. Yeah. Others they don't even care. Yeah. I, I have I have many clients that I've never even seen personally. Okay. Just talk to them over the phone or you know, via email or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that difference differs person to person. But yeah, anybody out of state, I, I have the ability to, to work with anybody in the country. Certainly my designation is a, I'm an enrolled agent. Okay. And that, that is designated by the IRS. And obviously, that is the entire United States. Yeah. So there, there's no problem there. It's again just the the various states have their little nuances, but that can be learned. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So where can they find you if they want you to be their their tax guy? Yeah. So certainly you can reach out to Caleb. He can give you my information. Yeah. Or you can go to our website, uh, SyracuseWealthManagement.com. Which we'll link below. Yeah. Little put, plug. Put, put, plug. put that in the in in the bio. Um, you can find us there. Certainly, email, reach out. You know, give the office a call. Um, but again, I, I would reach out to Caleb personally. That way you have somebody that that's going to refer you into, to my office. Yeah. Um, if you call, you may get lost with the other professionals that I work with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's how you can reach out to me. Certainly do it sooner rather than later. Cause again, once we get to January, yeah. um, then it, then it gets a little crazy. Um, but yeah, anybody that needs help with anything finance related, taxes, bookkeeping, investing, anything, uh, we, we can handle that. Okay. 
Perfect. So, guys, if you want to reach out to me, um, you can just DM me on Instagram, and uh, I'll get back to you. So, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Some, some new insightful stuff, and if there's anything that you want to see for for the coming taxis, we can we can do that. Afterwards. Yeah. No, absolutely, buddy. Thanks for thanks for having me on. I hope this podcast does well. Uh, and anybody listening, if they got their own business, getting ready to go, it's uh, it's definitely a journey to mm. be self-employed, yeah. as I'm sure you know. Um, but the the rewards are are far better than if you're stuck at some company. Yeah. Um, your your potential is unlimited, and you know your your destiny is in your own hands, which is which is why I like to be self-employed. Yeah. I'm sure that's something that, that you appreciate too. Yeah. Um, so anybody looking to start a business, you know, definitely take that plunge. It's it's well worth it in the end. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, guys. Appreciate the listen, and we will catch you on the next one.